in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so our reading this morning from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy, it's set right on the edge of the promised land. Right? The people who are standing there, their parents have all died in the wilderness. They have wandered for 40 years through the desert, and this is all they've ever known. But at this point now, they're standing at the edge of the Jordan River, and they're ready to cross. Well, Moses wanted to cross with them, but if you remember your Old Testament stories, Moses was not allowed to go in. So the Lord lets Moses climb up onto Mount Pisgah, to the mountain and to see the promised land, how good it is. But then God tells Moses to come down from the mountain and to speak to Joshua and all the Israelites, to give them courage and strength for the journey that they're about to make into Canaan, the promised land. And so Deuteronomy 4, our reading this morning, it begins Moses' long speech to the Israelites as they prepare to enter that promised land. But the question that Moses is addressing for the Israelites is how are you going to live now? In other words, how do you go from living as God's people who have wandered into the wilderness for a generation to a people who finally live according to God's promises? How shall we then live? How shall we then live as people who have come into God's promises who are now facing something entirely new? It's a period of transition. And it's this period of transition, the standing on the banks of the Jordan and looking forward to something new that I think makes this text so valuable for us this morning. Because we're living in a period of transition. We're looking into the unknown future and wondering, what will the church be like in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? And we have no idea. We have no idea because as a church, we're moving into a very different culture. A different culture than it's been for centuries in the Western world. We're entering a period in which most young adults will never be taught scripture. They will not be raised in the context of Christian communities. It's going to be a period in history that it's going to be weird in this country to be decidedly Christian. Most of us grew up in a time when being a Christian, whether you went to church on a regular basis or not, was kind of the default setting of our culture. Being raised as a Christian was the norm. And so the language of the Bible, Christian virtues, all of these things were just in the air, so to speak. But very rapidly, the language, the symbols that we grew up with will no longer be the norm. It will be a time when church buildings throughout our country will become museums, when they'll be repurposed into restaurants or yoga studios, senior centers, apartment buildings, and this sounds bleak, but I don't mean it to sound bleak, because it means for us an opportunity. It means the church and the individuals that make up the church have the opportunity to live for the sake of God's mission to the lost in this world. It's a hopeful time, a time we get to discern who we are and to discern what good news we have to offer to those in the world. We have the opportunity to ask ourselves, how can we be the salt of the earth? Like the Israelites, and we stand at this moment in history, this transition, and ask, how shall we then live? In such a time of transition, the first thing I think we have, just like the Israelites, 
is the confidence that we have God's word. When we look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, we see here that God's law, that is the word that God gave to Moses on Sinai, is connected to God's proximity, God's nearness. Moses says in those verses, For what other great nation has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is whenever we call to him? And what other great nation has statutes and ordinances as just as this entire law that I am setting before you today? Moses can contrast the Israelites to all other nations in the world because the Israelites have the certainty that God is near, that God will hear them when they call to him. And they have this certainty because they have God's word. God assures us of his presence in his word. All right, we think of what St. Paul says in the book of Romans. Right, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And it's not that reading, speaking, and proclaiming God's word is a magic formula that makes God appear to us. But it's in hearing God's word we are made aware of his loving presence. Right, so we go back to our question, how shall we then live? Well, as we enter into a new period, a period where being a Christian is far more intentional than it's ever been, we have to hold on to the confidence of having God's word. The fact that we have God's word, that we hear it, proclaim it, and hold on to it, it makes us unique in the world. As a people, we get to hold on to this nearness of God. And we know that he has given us his word. And so even in a new era, challenging times, times of transition, we're assured of God's closeness. And we know his closeness because of his word. The nearness of God and our identity as a people who have God's word, it should set us up to be a missionary people in the world. So in the Bible, God's people are always called to be missionaries in the world. Moses says in verse 6 of our reading, Other nations of the world will see the Israelites holding on to God's word, and they'll proclaim, Surely this great nation is a wise and discerning people. God called the Israelites to be set apart in the world as a people who show the goodness of the Lord to other nations. In Exodus 19, God says to the Israelites, If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all people. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. The Israelites were to hold on to God's word so that they would be a kingdom of priests in the world. That is, that they would share and testify to the Lord's goodness in the whole world. When the Israelites turned to idols and stopped following the Lord, they did the exact opposite of their calling. They no longer showed the world just how good the Lord is. In the same way, our mission to the world outside of these church walls is to be a people of the word. Because it's the word of God itself that draws people into God's loving care. It's the word of God itself that gives people life that the world cannot give. One theologian puts it like this. Mission is not primarily an activity of the church, but an attribute of God. In other words, God's intention for the church is to be the means by which his word is shared to all the people of the world. God wants his word to be out there. He wants the people of this world to hear his word and to know his nearness through his word. 
So for Moses, this is why it was so important for the people to hold on to God's law, so that they could be a witness, and that they would draw the whole world to the Lord. That's who we are as the church. We are a people who cling to the promises of God's word, which means our hope is different from the hope of the world. Our hope is in the words of forgiveness and reconciliation with God. It's in the word that promises to call us up from our graves, the word that promises to give us eternal life. And so we live out this hope, this word, and the world ought to see something different in us. We ought to be doers of this world so that we can be bold enough to love one another, forgive one another, speak the truth in the world to one another, precisely because we have God's word. I think of the development of hospitals in the ancient world as a great illustration of this. In the fourth century, when Christianity started to become recognized in the Roman Empire, Christians committed to building hospitals in every city where there was a cathedral. Hospitals did not exist elsewhere in the Roman Empire before that, but because Christians had a special calling to care for the sick and the poor, they built these facilities that would allow the sick and the poor to be treated as individuals with dignity, rather than just people suffering on the streets. There was no fame or glory or money there. There was only the commitment to hold on to God's word. That's also our mission headed into an unknown future. To be a people obedient to God's word and a people who love to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It makes us different because we have a different hope. Our hope is in the nearness of God. Finally, from our reading, you'll notice that our reading ends with a special plea from Moses for the Israelites to teach their children, to catechize them. He says, But take care and watch yourselves closely, so as neither to forget the things that your eyes have seen, nor to let them slip from your mind all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. He's reminding them that it will be easy to forget. When you get to a new place, it'll be easy to forget all that God has done for you. It'll be easy to neglect to tell your children the stories of God's goodness. So take special care. Put a special emphasis on teaching your children and teaching your grandchildren. Remember, the Canaan lands were occupied when the Israelites got there. The Israelites were going to encounter people with different stories than theirs. People who worship different gods. People with different cultures altogether. And so it was paramount to continue to tell the children the stories of God. Otherwise, they would adopt the stories of the culture surrounding them. Philip Melanchthon, who was a friend and partner to Martin Luther, wrote that congregations have one basic job to do. He writes, we must seek the truth, love it, defend it, and hand it down uncorrupted to our children. That's the congregation's basic job. And it's also a basic sociological truth. If we don't catechize our children, if we don't teach one another, if we don't learn the stories ourselves and then share them, we won't be catechized by God's word. Rather, we'll be taught by the world. So we're coming into an age where the world's stories look nothing like the church's stories. The theologian David Wells writes that worldliness is whatever makes righteousness look strange and makes sin look normal. And here's the reality that we're all facing. All the money and influence of our media, our corporations, our entertainment, they're more invested in making sin look normal 
then righteousness look normal. If we want our children, our grandchildren, to hold on to the faith in this world, we have to be intentional about teaching our children and grandchildren the Word of God. We have to tell them the stories. On top of that, we also have to watch ourselves and take care that we are people who find our identities in the promises of God's Word. If we don't let ourselves be taught by God's Word, if we don't love and embrace the stories of God, then the world will teach us. The world will catechize us. We will be shaped by other things. And so we have to be committed to shaping ourselves and our children to God's word. Well, how shall we then live? Well, we live knowing the nearness of God to us. We live in joy and hope to take that word to the world. We believe that we have good news. We believe that we have the words of eternal life. And so no matter how much the world shifts, no matter what kind of transition we are, we have good news of the words of eternal life to take to the world. And so with those words, we live dutifully and happily, teaching ourselves, teaching our children. And when we face the world's stories, the world's lies, the world's temptations, we cling to the word of God because it's in God's word that he promises to be near to us. Amen.